when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a close look at some of the events that are going to be shaping investment decisions in the coming days. I'm Robert Muller. This week, that means interest rates, what it's going to mean for savers and borrowers, and of course our own vote on what the Bank of England might do, and we'll be finding out what this soothing song... One day I know I feel home again, born again, born again... ...has to do with the brash world of banking. That's our mystery link, and we'll find out more about that later. I'm joined in the studio by Philip Aldrich, economics editor of The Times, and Catherine Griffiths, our banking editor. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here. Philip, I'm going to start with you. The Bank of England is going to be meeting and at the same time publishing its inflation report, and of course you'll be covering it. Here's a reminder for us all, really, how Governor Mark Carney concluded his remarks at the last inflation update. If the economy follows a path broadly consistent with the August central projection, then monetary policy could need to be tightened by a somewhat greater extent over the forecast period than the path implied by the yield curve underlying those projections. Any increases in bank rate would be expected to be at a gradual pace and to a limited extent. The committee will continue to monitor closely the incoming evidence and it stands ready to respond to changes in the economic outlook as they unfold to ensure that sustainable return of inflation to the 2% target. Philip, Governor Mark Carney there. You were there, you heard him. Has anything changed substantially? And what do you expect looking forward? Yeah, actually, the the following month, so that was August, the following month, um, the minutes to the Monetary Policy Committee's meeting, they didn't have a, a press conference at that event, stated that the majority of uh, members believed that it was right to raise interest rates in the coming months. And that has uh, that was sort of reinforced by a series of speeches by uh, members of the, you know, some of the nine members of the committee. Um, and it, it's now sort of taken as virtually gospel that we're going to get a rate rise in November. So we're going to get a rate rise on the 2nd of November when the, uh, when the bank next meets. So um, we're fully expecting interest rates to go from 0.25% to 0.5%, which will be a watershed moment. The last time we had interest rates rising was in July 2007, so more than a decade ago. Do you think, for all of us, we've either got mortgages or loans or maybe we've maxed our credit cards. Are we going to see anything different immediately, do you think, because it's such a low percentage increase in relative terms, isn't it? I mean, from a quarter to a half a percent. If you think about it, the rate was only cut from 0.5 to 0.25% in, in August 2016 after the Brexit uh, referendum. This increase is just unwinding some of the stimulus that we had a year ago. So we'll, we'll still be technically in a more accommodative monetary position than we were you know, before that August action by the, by the bank. So the idea that this quarter point interest rate rise will you know put any enormous squeeze on households or enormous squeeze on borrowing 
I, th- I think it's pretty fanciful, really. But the thing that the markets and the thing that people will start to worry about is this the start of a directional change. You know, the first time that you see an interest rate rise in a decade, does that mean we're now going to see a couple next year or not? I mean, the bank keeps on talking about being gradual about this. Um, and we're not sure whether this is just, this might be, if it happens, whether this is just going to be a, uh, you know, a reversal of what happened in, in August 2016 or whether this is the start of something new. Something more fundamental. Catherine, can I bring you in here? I mean, we've always, and it seems a long time ago now, but we used to argue about banks, didn't we, that they failed passing on any benefits, which might happen in this case. Savers still feel aggrieved. Is it going to be any better news or do you think it's going to be a return to the status quo? In other words, they're going to drag their feet about upping the rate of return that they give to savers first. Yes, I think they probably will drag their feet in time-honoured tradition. Banks have already started to get rid of kind of their ultra-competitive mortgage offers the last couple of months or so. So they're, they're kind of on the front foot on that even before there's been any kind of rate rise. But when you talk to the banks privately, they say they will see what everyone else is doing with savers and they basically don't want to raise rates for savers if they don't have to. Does that have a knock-on effect to the economy? Philip, I've often wondered, or doesn't it really matter? Is that something that happens, if you like, below the sort of top line of economics and economic effects, the fact that they're not passing on the benefit either way? There are more savers than there are borrowers and there's there's more money in savings than there is in, in debt. So in theory, if you've got more savings... Uh, earning a bit more money, um, you've got more to spend. But but what the statistics show is that people respond to uh, interest rate changes more on on their levels of debt than they do on their savings. People probably won't change their spending an awful lot. But where, whereas if they if they find that they uh, if if savings go up, they won't change their spending an awful lot. But if they find that their borrowings go up by a similar amount, they tend to squeeze their spending uh, more. So. Uh, you end up with uh, there is a slightly more distorted effect in it's not equal on the two sides. So higher rates technically do squeeze the economy. They do uh, they do slow things down in theory. I, at this rate, I just don't I don't think it's going to make any difference on this one. What are we seeing, um, Catherine, in the mortgage market for a moment? I mean, looking at the statistics and the and the, and the reports that you're writing, and Tom Knowles uh, is also looking at. It would appear to be in reasonable condition, wouldn't it, the mortgage market? There is still money out there for people to borrow, presumably provided they meet the criteria. Yeah, I think there's lots of lots of health in the mortgage market and banks are very, very keen to lend to straightforward mainstream borrowers. I mean, one thing that we're seeing repeatedly is that the government sees landlords, sees buy-to-let lending as risky and doesn't like it greatly. So we may see some more clamping down potentially on landlord lending in the budget, perhaps. But overall, clearly, the yeah, the mortgage market is pretty healthy. Yeah, actually, I was looking at some numbers the other day, and um, the write-offs uh, in on mortgages at the moment, uh, in the second quarter, they were just four, I think it was four, four million pounds of write-offs in the second quarter, which is which is the lowest uh, in 24 years that the records have been uh, kept. So, I mean, at the moment, if, if you're a if you're a bank and you've got a, a book of mortgages, you you are just making you're making money on that. You're not you're not having to turn, do any you know make any provisioning against it. Which, on the one hand, is good. On the other hand, uh, the last time it was equally low was just before the financial crisis. So, you know, you could say is there some kind of bubble in the in the in the property market, and that you know when interest rates do start rising, if they start rising c- consistently, you know they're, they're, these write off rates could start jumping. Are banks prepared for it? You know. Um, 
our households prepared for it because they're so complex. They may be so complacent with having had 0.5 or 0.25% rates for a decade that uh, things could get ugly. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen uh, in the last few days that Antonio Hortosorio, the boss of Lloyd's, has talked about the economy being resilient. Um, I suppose, you know, they've been planning for a potential rate rise, this potential rate rise for a while, although, of course, it's become just far more likely in the last, what, month or so, Phil, I guess, last few Mm -hmm. weeks. But um, as you say, really, I think everyone's going to be paying close attention to the wider message, you know, whether whether this quarter point potential rise will be followed in short order by more. And I suppose I think that in the banking sector, most of the most of the sort of people running big high street packets don't think it will. They think it will be pretty gradual. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there is another issue here in terms of the credibility of the governor in the Bank of England, because, uh, you know, he, the governor has on previous occasions suggested that rates should rise. Of course, they never have. And if they don't lift rates now, or if they don't make it absolutely clear that they're about to lift rates, people, you know, the markets are just going to start thinking the the bank and their signalling and their forward guidance is beyond a joke. I mean, people are already in, in, in the markets, already not really listening to what the bank is saying any longer because their messages, as Pat McFadden, the Labour MP, memorably said he, he compared the governor to an unreliable boyfriend blowing hot and cold. And so they have to, they really have to, the bank really has to follow through here. Otherwise, there's, there's, issues of, there's issues of market credibility. Yes, I think that's certainly true. And actually, one small thing in the world of banking we saw recently was TSB blaming um, a pretty much certain rate rise on the fact that it was going to put off moving its IT system onto its new owner, Sabadell, which is going to cost Sabadell £70 million. But, you know, if you if you take it from TSB, it's a, it's a dead cert, so they'll be in disarray if it doesn't happen. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll leave it there. I think that's pretty conclusive, certainly from this um, this straw poll here that rates probably will rise and we'd better be prepared for it. Now, at the start, we heard this. Home again, home again. One day I know I've... That's actually from an HSBC mortgage advertisement run earlier this year. How heartwarming it is, too. Catherine, as we mentioned a bit earlier there, we're in the midst of the UK banks updating markets and, of course, their long-suffering shareholders in some cases. Third-quarter earnings, we never used to have them, did we? It used to be full year and half year. But uh, HSBC is going to be one of them. What do you, what do you, on the headline figures, what are you expecting? HSBC will probably do quite well. They report on Monday and actually they've shown themselves in the last few months to kind of quite painful restructuring that Stuart Gulliver the outgoing chief executive has kind of pushed through, has started to show quite good results, cost cutting, coming out of lots of countries. Things favour HSBC and banks like it relatively at the moment. It makes a lot of money in dollars and it's sort of a relatively balanced bank between retail and corporate banking. So they'll probably have some quite good results and sort of avoid some of the problems of some of our UK domestic big banks. What's the message about dividends, do you feel, overall? I know we're still going to hear from some of them, uh, not least HSBC and Barclays, but people used to, in my day certainly, like the banks for the for the dividends. So it's a bit of a mixed picture now, isn't there? Looking forward, though, any of you think are particularly sort of almost dead in the water in the terms of expecting uh, investor payouts? Dividends quite interesting at the moment. Um, Barclays, which has had a pretty awful reception to its results, uh, is kind of, 
hinting that there'll be some a little truffle to come on dividends when it announces full-year results in February. Um, Lloyds has, of course, restarted dividends, although they're still relatively modest. Um, HSBC has been buying back shares. That's partly why it's suddenly in favour with um, the city, with the markets at the moment. Um, Standard Chartered is kind of disappointed on dividends. There was a hope they might return to some sort of dividend growth. Um, And of course, Royal Bank of Scotland hasn't been paying dividends since it was bailed out by taxpayers. It's been quite clear to the market, really, if it does certain things, then it can start playing dividends next year, which it probably will do. It'll probably hit those targets. Philip, can I bring in, because you were a former banking editor yourself uh, in another place when we worked together, do you see any substantial difference apart from the dividends in the way that banks behave now? Do you feel that they want to play a bigger part in society and they realise they have got wider social responsibilities or are they actually just as badly behaved as they ever were? I think I think they they recognise that there is a sort of social contract with banks after the taxpayer bailouts, and there's been a change in culture. Um, the, it's it's pretty complicated for them, though. I mean, they've got enormous sort of regulatory issues that they've been grappling with. The, the size of their sort of compliance arms have just uh, multiplied. And in the UK, the, they're having to separate off their retail banks to their sort of, you know, bog standard high street stuff from their investment banking arms. And, you know, there are questions like Barclays has had trouble with its investment bank. And, you know, really, it's it's the strategy of what to do with, with your investment bank when you're competing against these sort of American giants, which kind of eating you for lunch. And does the UK want to have a giant investment banking champion, which it might be able to have with the Barclays Investment Bank and with HSBC's investment banking arms? Or does it just want to be sort of plain vanilla banking and this this racier stuff, the casino stuff, um, really should be just left to the Americans? And you know, there's this idea of the Wimbledonization of the City of London, we're happy to let them play on our ground. Yeah, I think Barclays and its investment bank remains one of those sort of um, dysfunctional questions, doesn't it? And it's been it's been that way even pre-crisis. And I think people hoped, certainly its shareholders hoped, that by bringing in Jess Staley, who is American and worked for J.P. Morgan Chase for thirty four years, um, that he would solve some of these problems one way or another. And initially, people thought that was happening. And now, actually, he's just had a few quarters of really not that great investment banking results. Um, and he can certainly point to the fact that across the market, it's not great. But shareholders are are not sure. And as you say, also, whether more generally society, politicians, whether they whether we want this, no one, no one among sort of official circles, I think, knows, probably doesn't care at the moment because they've got so much on their plate with a whole lot of other things. Um, but I suppose one thing about Staley is he does know investment banking and he's he's had the confidence to kind of come out and say, yep, the results haven't been great. But I think he said the quote was something like, you know, you don't cut your way to glory. So hence, you know, they're doubling down a bit on the markets bit. They're going to put more money into it. They're hiring more people. I think that actually seems to have to have confidence in your strategy is probably not a not a bad idea in this situation rather than kind of flip flopping. Yeah, Barclays has got a bit of a track record on flip-flopping. Although the, the previous chief executive, who was unceremoniously ejected a bit, um, St. Anthony, uh, he was he was very much focusing on the sort of civil responsibilities of the bank. Um, St. As he was Anthony Jenkins, he has pointed out, I think, in private, that the share price is significantly below where it was when he was ejected. Um, I, I, 
slightly uh, uh, Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think there's probably a lot, a lot of different views about um, the ejection of Anthony Jenkins, but uh, I mean, share, the share price point is probably a bit tough for Staley because he's. He's he has done a lot. I mean, he's been there two years, and he really has done a lot of restructuring. I think that one could sort of reasonably argue that he needs a bit longer to kind of push the share price in the other direction. But I think one of the things people are just frankly suspicious, suspicious of is the fact that he's brought in a load of senior J.P. Morgan people, people he used to work with. It's a bit like a kind of club. They've essentially taken over Barclays, and the share, the sort of the UK investors want want to know though that it, it's sufficiently outward looking that it isn't just this kind of you know jp morgan takeover essentially all right we'll leave it there for the moment thank you both very much that's about it for now but do follow those results which catherine will be reporting on as they happen and of course keep an eye out for philip he's going to be marooned at the bank of england for the inflation report and of course that uh, rate decision there'll also be financial updates at hsbc and barclays as we mentioned and of course ryanair bp and royal dutch shell they'll be worth watching out for too particularly about the dividends there's all that and the other news and analysis online on your tablets on your phone and then the other advice nowadays and if you'd like to become a subscriber just go to the times.co.uk you can sign up there and also you get our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins if you want to hear us weekly do subscribe through itunes my thanks to Catherine griffiths and philip aldrich they're on twitter so you know what to do please join us again next week and thanks for listening 